happy Friday. Joe, back with you today for the final show of the week. And just before we get into today's show, just a big, big, big thank you for all the listening this week. And if you do love it, please do pop on here for a little review for us. Hit subscribe and share us with your friends. It really does make a massive difference to us. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is the leader, Coronavirus Daily. Hi, I'm Joe Yule. How does the UK come back from this? We knew that the economy was in uh, an unprecedented lockdown. I think the size of the the fall was slightly bigger than uh, the city had been expecting. The Evening Standard's Jonathan Prynne on record lows for the country's coronavirus crippled economy. And so there's films, webinars, debates, walkthroughs of collections, podcasts, designer diaries. COVID-19 forces London's Fashion Week to go digital. We speak to the British Fashion Council boss, Caroline Rush. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is the leader, Coronavirus Daily. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, can the UK recover from the worst recorded GDP since records began? Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Could it be an indication of just how bizarre things are when the UK economy has its biggest collapse in recorded history and no one is surprised? And that's even though the figures are worse than expected. A 20.4% dive in GDP is unprecedented. Compare it to the financial crisis of 2008 that saw a 6% drop in output. Meantime, an Ipsos Mori poll for the Evening Standard shows 7 in 10 people think the UK economy is only going to get worse in the year ahead. The Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, says coronavirus has had a severe impact. Our editorial column sees a path to recovery, but not without scars being left. There are reasons for hope. In May and June, Britain got busier, and that will be reflected in data when it comes. 
A nimble response by the Chancellor has so far prevented mass job losses and bankruptcies, but the taxpayer can't pay the bills for the whole economy forever. As support is taken away, some businesses will find they aren't viable. On top of this, there is another chilling question. Having endured one of the developed world's highest death tolls from Covid, will we now go on to suffer one of the worst recessions as well? The OECD predicts the UK economy will shrink by 11.5% this year overall, just ahead of France and Spain. When things do grow again, we should be well placed. The OECD predicts 9% UK growth next year. But the horrific impact of this year's immense economic collapse will be felt for generations. And that's without the possibility of a no-deal Brexit to navigate just after Christmas. The Evening Standards consumer business editor Jonathan Prynne is with me now. Jonathan, how much is this an indication of what's to come? That's a really good question. We knew that the economy was in uh, an unprecedented lockdown. I think the size of the the fall was slightly bigger than uh, the city had been expecting, but it was within within the ballpark. Now, the, the question is where, or how quickly and, and um, what shape the recovery is, is going to be. May will be better for certain because the absolute sort of strictest form of lockdown came to an end in early May and has been gradually relaxed um, through the month. June will be better still. We'll have people going back to shops, high streets opening up. And so it should be a, a steady, if fairly slow, recovery through the summer and into the autumn. I think what economists are very worried about is whether the recovery can get back to 100% of where we were before COVID or whether it will get kind of stuck at about 85 90% for the foreseeable future because people are worried about going out as much as they were before, they're worried about their jobs, all sorts of reasons which might mean the economy doesn't quite get back to 100% and that has quite severe potential consequences for the number of people in work. Which areas do you think contributed most? I was quite amused or sort of (laughs) surprised or shocked about the fact that, you know, obviously the UK pub industry was clearly very hardly hit. And I think that maybe says quite a lot about us as a nation. The big ones were, yeah, I mean, hospitality generally. Pubs, restaurants, hotels were almost completely wiped out. Retail obviously had a had a really, really bad month. No shops were open. All they could do was online and that didn't come anywhere near making up the shortfall. Motor manufacturing was big hit as well. Uh, Most of the auto plants are almost completely shut down. And construction. Construction is down 40% over the last three months. That's an absolutely huge reduction in in, in a very important sector of the economy. Food retailing is obviously having a bit of a moment actually because, um, you know, we're not going out as much so we're buying more from supermarkets. But the vast majority of sectors of the economy were extremely badly hit. I mean, in terms of the global picture, I mean, like you say, we've all, we're all in the same boat. Everyone's, you know, got a pretty gloomy and stormy period ahead. But, you know, how does that compare in terms of our figures with, you know, other countries around Europe, for example? Ours are, are bad. Um, possibly the worst in the developing world. The OECD predicted that our downturn in 2020 will be the worst of any of the major developed nations. Uh, around 11% fall in, in GDP this year. Who knows the way the April figure came in, it, it, may be, it may be worse than that. But Britain does seem to be taking a bigger hit than, than most other countries, possibly because we went later into lockdown and our emergence from lockdown seems to be more slow and painful than some of the other countries, particularly in Europe, where 
France, Germany, Spain, Italy are getting back to some degree of normality. Well, we're still a long way from that. The, the biggest human factor um, is going to be unemployment. We've been used to very low levels of unemployment, apart from a, a, a relatively brief spike after the financial crisis. We've had low levels of unemployment for 20 odd years now. Um, and anyone of my vintage who remembers the 80s and early 90s when you know there were 3 million people on the dole, and you know, the, which is a cause of huge amount of, of human misery. That sadly, unless we can get the economy going much more quickly than most economies, co economists are predicting, is where we're heading in the second half of the year going into the winter of 2021, especially after the furlough scheme, which has been very effective in keeping people away from uh, unemployment. Um, as that unfolds over the summer and going into the autumn, we are looking at huge numbers of people without work. And that's obviously a massive human cost, which we haven't really, I don't think people have really taken on board yet, what may be coming down the line. Next. You may not hear as much of this during London Fashion Week. It's going online. British Fashion Council boss Caroline Rush tells us about this year's digital showcase. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. is all about being seen. It's about catwalks and photo calls, magazine shoots, publicity stunts. You can't set a trend if no one's looking. And that's a problem for London Fashion Week. How do you hold a massive international event when everyone's stuck indoors? The solution is to go online, but that isn't easy either. The responsibility to make it all work falls on the shoulders of the British Fashion Council, whose CEO, Caroline Rush, spoke to the Evening Standard's digital fashion and beauty editor, Chloe Street. First, it'd be great to take a look at a step back and hear about what you think the impact of the pandemic has been on the fashion industry and give us an idea of the damage and the scale of the damage. Yeah, absolutely. I think if we go back to that moment when um, we went into lockdown, obviously the stores closed, the manufacturers closed and head office closed. What that meant is that the uh, stores, quite a lot of them cancelled orders. So the orders that designers had made uh, were ready to ship. Some of it in works in production essentially were cancelled. That cash flow that comes from that has a significant impact, so particularly businesses that are going through growth, is they rely on that money to be able to cover their overheads, to cover their suppliers. So it's had a devastating effect. Is that in terms of numbers, we did a research. Uh, survey quite early on in terms of predicted impact and uh, designer businesses thought that they maybe had I don't know 
three months. Uh, this is before the government support schemes came into play, that they could survive in terms of cash. A lot of businesses have been able to survive a bit longer, but it's still really challenging. And the support that's coming through government works for a lot of businesses, but it really doesn't work for creative businesses, particularly ones that are going through a growth period. And that's why we've been addressing that with things like raising money through philanthropy, etc. When you say it doesn't work for creative businesses, what do you mean? There's quite specific criteria that uh, comes through the government's uh, what are called the COVID business interruption loan, the C-bills and the bounce back loans. And part of that criteria is based around profitability, is around the amount of money spent in the previous accounting year versus paid up share capital. And for a business that's going through growth is that... Uh, that just won't reflect in the right way and for the majority of our businesses that isn't working uh, so we continue to have conversations with government as i said we're quantifying that at the moment so we can give them some hard data around what the impact of not supporting these businesses is likely to be both in terms of business closure then of course unemployment you know our industry's worth 35 billion to the british economy and employs 890,000 people or it was last year trying to imagine what that impact is going to be for 2020 is uh, terrifying of course and and I presumably, you know, smaller brands have been impacted, but if we look at luxury versus high street, is there a, has it hit high street brands harder, do you think, who rely on their store traffic? Absolutely. It's this, um, those that have relied very much on football, and particularly in places like London, where there's a huge amount of tourism traffic that comes in, that accounts for a number of uh, people through the door, but also the amount of money spent. That business has just gone away. And of course, a lot of businesses, not all of them, but a lot of businesses are online and they've been able to do some sales. But equally, while as consumers, we're sat at home, you know, the way people are shopping has changed. You know, the product that's selling is mostly athleisure wear, jeans, T-shirts, etc. It's not the kind of collections that you see on the catwalk at London Fashion Week. And it's not high fashion. It's not event dressing. Is there anyone that had relied on sort of the season business of Ascot and the Serpentine and Fashion Week and Henley and Wimbledon and all of that? You know, June's an amazing time, as well as layering on all of the weddings that seem to happen over this period. That has not happened. And so looking to the future, we're chatting ahead of the first ever digital London Fashion Week. How has it been to pivot from such an established physical event to something that's, you know, digital only? It must have been one of the most challenging times of your career. Um, yes. Uh, I mean, <laughs> challenging for so many reasons. You know, all of the conversation that we've had around how we create support for designer businesses, you know, that being the backdrop of survival of businesses versus how do we continue to have these platforms that can promote and celebrate our businesses, our industry to global audiences, whether it's trade and consumer. And I think is that uh, part of that early dialogue with the designers around um, the fact that they are going to have product to sell that maybe some of them didn't have previously. The importance of bringing in the consumer even more, I mean, we've been doing that for the past few years at London Fashion Week, but even more as part of the digital conversation is incredibly important. It's going to be incredibly exciting. There's kind of three core pillars to it. There's the schedule, which is sort of the grouping of live events that happen over the 12th, 13th, 14th. Uh, there are the designer pages where you can explore, find out more about the designers, you know, any content that they want to have on there. If you're industry, you'll be able to go to lookbooks and uh, uh, be able to book sales appointments and contact their PR teams. And then there's this explore section, a hybrid of kind of a Netflix for fashion versus iTunes. So there's films, webinars, debates, walkthroughs of collections, podcasts, designer diaries, playlists, 
opportunities to get involved and I think that that explore section then of course is that unlike fashion weeks where it's kind of a moment in real time that then is talked about in the media is that because we're all at home at the moment you know is that you've got this opportunity to explore and learn more. And that is the leader, Coronavirus Daily. You can keep up with all the latest COVID-19 developments with the Evening Standards live blog, which you'll find at standard.co.uk. And we also have a morning briefing available at 7am through your smart speaker. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. This podcast will be back with you on Monday at four o'clock. Have a great weekend.